Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Attention pro athletes. Want to secure your financial legacy and thrive off the field? Oak Bridge Wealth Management, led by wealth manager Chris Anasetti, is your dedicated financial planning ally. But don't take it from me. Take it from the Dallas Cowboys' Tyler Biotish. He says, Chris set goals financially and has been incredibly impactful in my journey in the NFL. Experience our customized, comprehensive approach, trusted by top NFL players. Don't leave your financial success to chance. Connect with Chris on Instagram at OakbridgeWM underscore Anaceti. That's OakbridgeWM underscore A-N-I-C-E-T-E. And let Oakbridge Wealth Management guide you across the goal line. On the Believe Network, presented by BetOnline.ag and Oak Bridge Wealth Management. Once again, I'm Matt Perkins, joined, as always, by Badger legend, the Hebrew hammer himself, Matt Bernstein. Bernie, how are we doing today? Again, every day is a holiday on the podcast. I think this will be a very interesting one, um, but I'm excited. I'm also hungry now to talk about uh, the Chick-fil-A peach bowl and have Gary come on, but Matt, I'll let you. I'll let you do the intro. You're so good at these. I'm well. Thank you, first of all, buddy. I really appreciate that. Uh, you know, your your praise means a lot to me. Um, but yes, like <laughs> Bernie alluded to, uh, we Gary Stokan here today uh, from the Peach Bowl, the president and CEO of the Peach Bowl, and someone whose life in and around sports, specifically college sports, is absolutely fascinating, and I cannot wait to dive into here today. Gary, thank you so much for taking time out of your very busy schedule to spend some time with us. Hey, Matt and Bernie, I'm so happy to be with you. Talk college football this time of the year. It's a fantastic time, and uh, we're very blessed to be a part of it. Well, it, it is a fantastic time of the year. Uh, you know, heart of college football season, heading up to bowl season, which we will be talking a lot about. Before we get into that, I want to remind the good folks listening wherever or watching wherever they happen to be that we are presented by betonline.ag where they continue to be your number one source for all of your online sports wagering needs you name it they've got it over there at bet online head on over to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive a 50 percent welcome bonus on your first deposit with our promo code believe that's b-l-e-a-v bet online where the game starts we are going to start way back to some before we get into the peach bowl we want to get to know you a little bit better now doing a little you know reading up a little bit on you like we usually like we do you know got to be prepared for these kind of things you are actually a relatively northeast native like the two of us originally from pittsburgh if i'm not mistaken so talk to us about growing up in pittsburgh and growing and what sort of uh sports you were into as a kid and just how you got involved in sports in general well, you know, we were just up there at Wisconsin. Uh, we managed and operate the Dodd Trophy and presented the anniversary uh, of Barry Alvarez winning the Dodd Trophy. Um, Bernie, I don't know if you were on that team or not, but um, Barry is a uh, Pittsburgh guy like I am. So um, Pittsburgh was a great place to grow up. Uh, I wish I could bottle my childhood and uh, sell it and just pour it on kids nowadays because – 
you know, everything was uh, just walk out of your house and there's all bunch of kids there to play baseball, basketball, football. I didn't know how to ride a bike till I was 14 years old because I was always playing baseball, basketball or football. Uh, I didn't know how to swim until I got to college um, because I was just playing, you know, those sports and, you know, kids would go down the swimming pool or kids would get on a bus to go ride, uh, to go, uh, uh, roller skating. And I was down playing basketball or baseball or football. That was me. So I had an older brother who also played and, uh, wound up playing freshman ball at Duquesne university basketball. And then I had a younger brother that played at, uh, St. Vincent basketball. So we were uh, very competitive. Um, my dad was, uh, worked hard at three jobs. And, uh, one of the jobs was, uh, uh, ticket sales manager of the Civic Arena in Pittsburgh, which is kind of where the Penguins play. And that was where college basketball was played. And um, I still remember, you know, we used to go down with him when he'd open the arena and um, uh, the Philadelphia 76ers would come and play one game in Pittsburgh a year. And this is when Will Chamberlain was playing. That tells you how old I am. And I remember I was a ball boy and Wilt came out and I remember just seeing legs like go forever and his socks like went up to half three quarters of my body. Um, Cause I was only about eight years old and yeah, they'd shoot around and we'd rebound the balls and throw them back and Wilt shot one and I got it and rebounded it. And um, you know, I shot it up and it went in and Wilt rebounded it and threw it back to me. So I shot it again and it went in. You know, I'm shooting like two four, two or four foot shots, obviously, at eight years old. But the horn sounded in the Civic Arena, and all the players went to the bench. And Wilt stayed out there and just kept feeding me. And I went around the horn shooting the basketball with Wilt Chamberlain feeding me, which was really cool. But, um, yeah, I had some great memories. Uh, went to South Hills Catholic. Uh, we won the state championship my junior year of basketball. Um you know, I remember uh, after we graduated high school, um, we had we didn't have AAU. We had all star team that went to Sharon, Pennsylvania to play in the Hoyle tournament, which was everybody and their brother played up there that was any good. And uh, Tommy Donahue, who was the uh, he was a GM of the uh, Steelers, uh, the Dolphins and the Eagles. He graduated from South Hills Catholic and put together an all-star team. And uh, I was one guard and Joe Montana was the other guard. Joe was from Ringgold, Pennsylvania. And I remember we went up, we made it to the semifinals and lost to uh, the ultimate uh, recruiting class of North Carolina, John Kuster and Tommy Lagarde and Zalagaris and, and those guys. But um, so I, I was very blessed you know, Pittsburgh, it was all about work ethic, all about, um, you know, busting your butt and, um, teamwork and giving the shirt off your back. So, uh, yeah, very blessed to grow up in Pittsburgh. Sorry for those long drawn out stories, but, uh, you, you made me bring back some good memories. Well, we're here for all the stories. So, um, you know, and you, I got a bunch of them. I don't your podcast isn't long enough. I've had such a blessed life being involved with uh, great coaches and players through 
you know, my, my, uh, college career, my, my, uh, business career that I could go on forever. Well, let's talk a little bit about that college career because you played basketball at NC state. Um, if I'm not mistaken, um, uh, and you were, I mean, you, that has taken you, it seems to great heights in the business world through these relationships. So talk about your time in Raleigh, talk about, um, just what it's been like for you going from college athlete to college athletics guru administrator business person (laughs) yeah i picked splinters out of my butt unlike bernie at wisconsin (laughs) um i started one game in north carolina state got my education paid learned real quick at 511 that uh point guard that there were some pretty good uh pretty good athletes um in the in the acc at that time in basketball um I remember I, I came down to court my first practice and did a spin move and went into a double team of Mo Rivers and, and Monty Tao, who were the starting guards for the NCAA uh, national champion, NC State Wolfpack in 1973. And this was their senior year. And uh, I threw a pass across the other guard and this blur came from the, the foul line, tipped the ball, three dribbles later, four dribbles later, went down and, and uh, laid the ball on top of the hoop because it was illegal to dunk when I played. They had the Lou Alcindor role. And uh, Norm Sloan blew the whistle and said, hey, Stoken, welcome to the blanking ACC. <laughs> and uh, I I started shaking my head. And Well, it was David Thompson that made that steal, went down and, you know, just laid it on top, who was the best player ever to play in the ACC, and that includes Michael Jordan in college. Um and I knew I was in a little bit over my head at that point, but I uh, had a great time, was getting ready after uh, graduating to go back to Pittsburgh and was sitting in the airport in Raleigh uh, to go back to Pittsburgh. And I was going to go back and teach uh, high school and coach basketball. And uh, at least that was my vision. And Norm Sloan was there at the airport going on a recruiting trip. And uh, he said, uh, so what are you going to do? And I said, well, I'm going back to Pittsburgh, coach basketball and teach. And he said, no, 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 you're going to stay with me. Um, I want you to be an assistant basketball coach here at NC State. Um, and I don't know, you know, I busted my ass. I mean, excuse me, busted my butt. I mean, I, I played hard and, you know, won the John Speaks Leadership Award for being voted by the players to be the best leader and all that stuff. And I wasn't a starter. But uh, I still remember when we went to uh, we were ranked number nine in the country, went to play Michigan State up in uh, Lansing and uh, in old Jemison. And we're doing our layup line and all the students are on the field are on the court, you know, yelling something. We, we didn't understand what they were yelling. And um, they separate the students. And all of a sudden, this black kid with a big afro and a letter jacket walks through tall kid and. Well, it was Magic Johnson. He was going there the next year. This was uh, 78 when we played him. So he was going there the next year to go to Michigan State, and they were yelling, Magic, Magic. Um, so we lose the game to those guys. We go to Oregon to play, I think, Oregon State in Portland from um, Michigan. And Norm says to the assistant coach, hey, you guys go on the road, get us some players. We need some more players. So none of the assistants went on the road trip to Oregon. So I knew I wasn't going to play 
the night before. So I knocked on Norm Sloan, my coach's uh, door and said, Norm or coach, um, you know, I'm probably not going to play, but none of the assistants are here. You know, I'd be willing to, you know, sit next to you and help you coach because I wanted to coach and Norm let me do it. He sat, I sat next to him the whole game and, you know, I would say, Hey, you know, this guy's tired or we may want to get this guy out or we may think about playing his own and Norm listened to me. And, um, I, he must've got the inkling that I, you know, maybe had some potential to coach. So he kept me there at NC state, but I, I remember the the last game, uh, we, we coached together at NC State. It was in the ACC tournament. We're playing Maryland, and we're up one, and there's nine seconds left, and they got the ball in their backcourt. So they call timeout. We're in the huddle, and uh, I think this was, you know, I was probably 24 or something like that. And, you know, Norm didn't normally come to the assistants like they do now and ask their advice. He, he knew what he wanted to do. But for this this time, the players sat down on a bench. He kind of turned around and looked at the assistants. And, you know, I'm, you know I got guts. I, I said, hey, I think we ought to play man-to-man, make them work to get the ball up. It'll take some time off the clock. They'll get a bad shot. So as soon as I said that, Norm looked at me like I had about three heads and said, who the hell is this guy saying anything? Turned around, flipped his jacket, his plaid jacket that he always wore, and told the team, okay, we're going to play a 2-3 zone. <laughs> Maryland came down. JoJo Hunter hit a floater right in the, in the, in the uh, broken circle and beat us by one. And I couldn't say anything. I was right. I couldn't say anything because we lost the game. But uh, Norm must have seen something in me. But he gave me a break to uh, coach. So I coached for three years at NC State. And then um, uh, I had seen some of the senior sides of recruiting. Uh, Norm went and took the job at Florida, wanted me to go to Florida. Jimmy Valvano came into NC State, wanted me to stay at State. And I was 25, 26, I guess. Um, I had just seen bags of money change hands back then. That's 42 years ago or whatever. Um, And I said, I don't want to be a part of this. So I hated it because to this day, I miss being on the basketball court and coaching basketball. And you know, uh, Roy Williams and um, Rick Barnes were colleagues of mine. They started at the same time. And every time I see them I, or saw them over the next 20, 30, 40 years, whatever it was, I told them, coach a little harder today because I miss it. So coach for me a little bit. But um, uh, so I, I left coaching and got an opportunity to go to work for Adidas and um Signed Mike Krzyzewski to a contract, signed Herschel Walker to a contract. My job was basically to sign athletes, coaches, teams, and create an integrated marketing campaign to positively impact sales. And um, my biggest uh, regret in in business was I had uh, Michael Jordan wearing Adidas all throughout practice at North Carolina and all around campus. And, uh, there's a book called Swoosh that talks about Nike and how they were bordering on bankruptcy in 1984 and uh, 1983-84. And when Michael came out of North Carolina, he was going to Bloomington to play for Coach Knight and the Olympic team in 84. And I got him the first $100 pair of Adidas shoes called the Forum. 
They were Velcro strap, high top shoe, gave them to Michael and said, here, wear these to, to practice because you can wear them now. You don't have to wear Converse because Dean was getting paid 250 grand from Converse uh, at North Carolina. So he went up. I got pictures of him wearing Adidas up in Bloomington at the Olympic practice, which he dominated. And um, they won the gold medal. And uh, he went up to, um, I don't know if you've seen the movie Air, which is a little little inflated. Uh, oh, who not, would have guessed a Hollywood movie based on a true story was inflated? I'm yeah. shocked. shocked. Especially, especially with Sonny Vaccaro, who was the consultant, made him look so good. And I say that because Sonny's from Pittsburgh and we're really good friends. We worked together at Adidas my second time when I was global business unit manager uh, for Adidas and put together Kobe Bryant's uh, first uh, global marketing campaign. Sonny had signed Kobe. But Michael, um, you know, he goes to Nike and meets with uh, Nike with his dad and David Falk. And he told his mom and dad he didn't want to go. His mom got sold by Falk to at least go out there and see what Nike says. He goes out there, he comes back, calls me. I'm probably 28, 29 at the time. He calls me Mr. Stoken. Mr. Stoken, can you please meet with me? So I go over to Chapel Hill and there's a wall, stone wall that separates uh, Franklin Street from all the uh, kind of little main, main street of uh, North Carolina and, and University of North Carolina. And Michael and I sat on that stone wall. We we're drinking a Coca-Cola. And he said, uh, Mr. Stoken, I love you. You've been great to me and my family because I took care of them with Adidas stuff. He said, and I love your product. If you can just get close on the car, the shoe deal, the annuity, the apparel deal, I'll sign with you. And so I wrote a three-page marketing campaign to uh, Herzegonar, West Germany, because the wall was still up and uh, to Adidas where we were headquartered. And uh, the Europeans came back to me and said, we don't have that kind of money for the US market. It was two and a half million dollars, which was a lot of money at the time. Nike was bordering on bankruptcy. Phil Knight couldn't find a bank to fund their uh, growth. And uh, they were in the red big time. Uh, And it says all this in the book. And uh, Michael's quoted in the book when he came out of the Nike meeting say, And, you know, his dad and David Falk said, well, we got to sign with Nike. This is a tremendous deal. And Michael's quoted in the book saying, no, I want to sign with Adidas. Well, anyway, the Germans and the Europeans came back and said, we don't have that kind of money. So we don't sign Michael. He signs with Nike. Rookie year at the Bulls, he sells $126 million of Air Jordan products, puts Nike in the black. And now his own brand, Air Jordan brand, is worth $5 billion. Um, but the, the, the next year, I go down to uh, take my family to Bahamas, and we're walking through the Atlantis Casino to go to dinner. And over on the left-hand side, there's a bunch of stores. And my daughters, who were 10 and 8 at the time, uh, my 10-year-old looked over and said, there's Michael Jordan. And there was a cigar shop there. And I looked over. I said, yeah, it is. Come on, we'll walk over and say hello. We walked over, and he's there with Charles Barkley, Ahmad Rashad and Charles Oakley, who had played in this golf tournament that he was running down in the Bahamas every year. And so we walk over and he uh, puts me in a headlock and he tells my daughters, he says, your dad is the hardest working man in sports. And my daughters never forgot that. 
Uh, but he went on to tell the story I just told you, and he told Barkley, Rashad, and Oakley. He said, yeah, Gary didn't think I could play, and that's why he didn't sign me. Stuck a dagger right in my heart. Um, but then I went from Adidas to uh, Converse. Uh, I had an opportunity to uh, uh, extend Ma- Magic and uh, Magic Johnson and Larry Bird's contract, sign Carl Malone, sign Muggsy Bogues, uh, you know, had a good time there. And then uh, started my own sports marketing company, sold that to a company in London, getting into Atlanta. for They wanted to get into Atlanta for the Olympics in 96. And then in 96, went back to Adidas when um, Sonny signed Kobe Bryant and did uh, Kobe's global marketing campaign. And then uh, in 1998, I had served as a volunteer living in Atlanta on the Atlanta Sports Council and the Peach Bowl. And um, I had spent an inordinate amount of time on the road flying to Europe uh, and all throughout the United States as a global uh, business unit manager for basketball for Adidas. So it's a good time for me to get off the road. I uh, took the job as CEO and president of the Bowl and, and the Sports Council. And here we are 26 years later. Attention athletes. Do you want a frictionless and tailored financial planning experience to secure your future? Well, look no further. Introducing Oak Bridge Wealth Management, the premier financial planning firm for professional athletes. Led by wealth manager Chris Anasetti, our team provides a unique and comprehensive approach, ensuring your financial success both on and off the field. We understand the unique challenges you face as a professional athlete, from managing cash flow habits to planning major business purchases and navigating complex contracts. That's why we've developed a proven process, working closely with our strategic partners to provide seamless solutions for your unique financial journey. Our services evolve with your career, offering short, mid, and long-term goal setting, portfolio optimization, real estate investments, and more. As you transition to life beyond the field, we support you with career development and philanthropic ventures. But don't just take our word for it. Top NFL players like Chase Roulier, Tyler Biotish, Alec Ingold, and more trust Oak Bridge Wealth Management to guide them towards financial success. Troy Dye of the Minnesota Vikings says, I really love the work that Chris and the rest of the Oak Bridge group do. I especially like the honesty and transparency when it comes to setting up financial goals and plans that best fit my needs and situation. It's time to elevate your financial game plan. Connect with Chris on Instagram at OakbridgeWM underscore Anacete. That's OakbridgeWM underscore A-N-I-C-E-T-E. And join the winning team. I'm a huge fan of bowl games. I think it's the coolest thing in college football. I think it's the coolest thing in football. Um, so you've been there for 26 years. What was it like when the, the, the playoffs started coming to be like, what, what was your position? What did you think? Was it exciting for you? Like, I would love to hear from somebody who might've had some influence about the playoff situation. Well, I'll go back to the first kind of iteration of bowls with the BCS. Um, Roy Kramer came out, created the BCS. Uh, and I, 1998 was my first year. I remember saying that, you know, this was going to hurt bowl games. And 
in uh, December, Roy sees me at the SEC championship and says, what the hell are you talking about? I said, well, you know, all the media and all the interest is going to flock to these four bowl games, the Rose, the Sugar, the Orange, and the uh, Fiesta. And I was right. Uh, during the BCS, that's that became, you know, the differentiation point. Every team wanted to get to the BCS, rightfully so. Uh, and then in, in 07, or 06, I guess it was, they uh, said, well, we're going to have another bowl game come in and we're going to do a, a national championship game. So us and the Cotton Bowl really made strong bids, uh, but neither of us won the bid. Uh, they went to a double host model where the Rose, the Orange, the Sugar, and the Fiesta hosted their bowl game in January. And then a week later, 10 days later, they rotated the national championship game. So uh, in 2007, the NCAA created a 12th game to the schedule. So I went to my board and I said, well, they're not going to let us in the BCS on the front, on the backside. We're going to start the BCS on the front side. And so I termed the phrase the Daytona 500 of college football, and we created the kickoff game. And I had Alabama and Clemson in the first game. Uh, Clemson was ranked number nine and Alabama, Nick Saban's second year at Alabama. He had finished seven and six his first year. People forget this. And he lost to Louisiana Monroe. And um, so I called Nick. I'd become friends of his from putting him in our bowl game in 2000. Um, And I said, Nick, you know, I'd love to have you come over and play. And he said, I'd love to play if we can win – Alabama recruiting and finished second to Georgia and Georgia for recruits will win national championships. Well, they came in, they, they beat Clemson 34 to 10 was on the cover of sports illustrated Alabama's back. And Nick would tell you that was the start of their run. (laughs) Um, And the next year they were number five. I brought them back. Virginia tech with Frank Beamer was number seven. Alabama beat Virginia tech, went on to win the national championship and had 19 kids from Georgia on their roster. But um, Daytona, Daytona 500 sent me a cease and desist letter. Said, please <laughs> stop using Daytona 500 in, in your marketing. Um, but yeah, the kickoff game was really uh, successful. I think we changed the face of college football because now you see like Ohio State playing Notre Dame in the first game of the season. Whereas prior to people would play non-directional schools not to denigrate anybody, but they'd schedule four wins in their non-conference and then get into their, their conference schedule. Mm-hmm. Um, like Michigan. Uh, but I, it really helped. It really helped attendance. It helped viewership. Um, you know, it's a win, win, win for everybody. Win for the fans, win for the players, win for the teams, win for media. Uh, you know, everybody wins. So it's a, it's a great format. And, um, you know, next year we've got Clemson, uh, Clemson and Georgia, which should be two top 10 teams next year kicking off in the Aflac kickoff game. And then we'll host the first uh, quarterfinal game in the CFP with either number one, two, three, or four in our game against first round winner. And then uh, at the end of the year, we'll host the national championship game. So we've come a long way in Atlanta and the peach bowl. That was uh, always the weather plagued peach bowl. No one wanted to come because it was always the coldest day in the world. And on December, uh, 31st in in uh, in Atlanta. All those guys from Wisconsin wanted to get out of the cold and go to Florida playing those bowl games, right, Bernie? You know, Barry did love to go to Florida. Yeah. <laughs> I don't blame him. I mean, I don't they, blame you know, him the weather was great. 
when when we got the Georgia Dome, that's when the tide turned because we could tell everybody it was going to be 72 degrees, <laughs> uh, great weather in the Dome. And then we went to Mercedes-Benz, which elevated even above that, which I think is the best stadium in the country right now. Uh, Gary, I mean, you so, – oh, so, Go for it, Go ahead, Burn. Go ahead, Burn. I was no, like, Gary, Bernie, we only have you for five more minutes. If I, I have I, – really hope people will go and just read about your life. You have done some amazing things. You're extremely philanthropic. You're just a great over, overall human being. So I, I loved, I loved reading up about you, but I want to continue to talk about bowl games because I loved figuring out where we were going to go play, you know, what you're going to get, where you're going to go, what hotel you stay in, the food, the whole entire week of being at a different place that you've never been. What makes the Peach Bowl so special to you? And what do you what do you love about when teams show up? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. When we joined the CFP in 1415, the first year, I called Bill Hancock Saturday night and I said, Bill, you're going to tell us who we're going to host, right? <laughs> and he started laughing. He said, Gary, you'll find out when the rest of America finds out. <laughs> so we're just like you. We sit on, uh, you know, December 5th, I think it is this year. And we'll be watching ESPN, waiting to see, you know, kind of our Christmas presents, what two teams we get to host. Um, we use a the theme, live, laugh, and learn. Uh, we want the kids to live great, get great gifts, uh, stay in a great hotel, play in a great facility, travel first class, um, eat great food like Chick-fil-A. Uh, we want them to laugh. So we have a battle for Bull Week, 40-pound uh, WWE belt that we have challenges every night. Because, you know, Bernie, when you played, I mean, all you wanted to do when you're on the road is compete, whether it was tiddlywinks or poker or, you know, whatever it was going to be. Um, so the kids battle every night for that. And then they got to give the belt back that night for the next night competition. And then learn we uh, do something that you're not supposed to do in bowls by putting both teams together in an event. So we... Uh, we take both teams and we put them in the pews of Ebenezer Baptist Church where Dr. King uh, uh, spoke uh, from the pulpit. His mother was shot in Ebenezer Baptist Church. Uh, his grandfather and his father both spoke from that pulpit. And uh, we've had Congressman Lewis, who has since passed away, uh, speak about, you know, um, tells a great story when he was uh, he was in charge of the youth movement. He was the young guy of the top eight people with Dr. King during the civil rights movement. And so we got all these kids sitting in there that, you know, they're 18, 19, 20, 21 years old. They weren't even born when Dr. King was around and Congressman Lewis. And we also have Andy Young, who was also part of the top eight people with Dr. King. And it's basically a living history lesson that they're telling these kids. Their parents weren't even born probably. Um, but uh, I remember Congressman Lewis talking about as he walked, uh, as he got ready to go across the Selma Bridge that morning, he got up. He said, I put on my backpack. Well, all these kids are wearing backpacks now. And he says, I put an apple, a toothbrush, toothpaste, and a book in the backpack because I know I was going to go to jail. He said, I got to the top of the crest of the bridge, and Hosea Williams standing next to me looked over and saw all the state Alabama cops on horses with guns and bats and dogs and he said, um, you know, John, can you swim? And Because Hosea said, I'm thinking of jumping off the bridge and swimming over instead of marching over. And John said, I can't swim, so I'm marching. 
So John Lewis, it's history. It was on Life magazine cover. He's walking across the bridge. We all know the history gets over hit over the head. He said, you know, I'm bleeding. I got a concussion. They picked me up in a police, not an ambulance, but a police vehicle and took me to jail. Um, and so now these kids are on the edge of their seats. And, um, you know, it, it, it's just these kids are high school, I mean, college age kids. You want them to learn something. So we, we do that every year. Last year we had Bill Curry and Andy Young speak to them. Um, you know, Bill Curry tells, he's got a great book about 10 men you meet in a huddle. You know, um, you walk into a huddle and Bernie, you've been there. And uh, there's a kid from Compton, black kid from Compton, a white kid from the hills of North Carolina, a Jewish kid named Bernstein, um, you know, and none of that matters. You know, when you get in that huddle, because you all need each other to execute this next play. And you're obligated to your teammate, you're accountable and you're powered to your teammate for him to do his job and you to do your job. You know, and if we had more of that in America, we'd be kicking China and Russia and others people's asses instead of screwing around with what we're doing in Washington, D.C. right now. Um, but, um, you know, and then we take the kids to Children's Health Care of Atlanta where, you know, they get a chance to give back to those kids who have cancer and they didn't get out of the hospital for Christmas and they're never getting out of that hospital. So, um, you know, live, laugh and learn. Been a great, great experience. Um, you know, so happy to be a part of being the most charitable bowl organization in the country. We were the ninth oldest founded bowl, but we we're the first bowl founded for charity. We've given $62 million in charity, uh, which makes us number one out of all 44 bowls. And that's part of our DNA. And we'll continue to do that. So Wisconsin has never been to a Peach Bowl. And A, we need to rectify that soon just for an excuse for me and Bernie to come back down to Atlanta. I love the College Football Hall of Fame. I love everything about Atlanta. Um, so it, that that is a, an That's easy sell for me. But what, uh, you know, when you're looking and, you know, you're bringing at-large team in, when you're not, you know, and obviously in what's going forward in the 12 team, you'll basically be assigned teams. But when you guys are like this year, you've got at-large teams that you'll be picking. What are you looking for in an at-large team outside of just their record? Well, it's really interesting. Two things. One is I've never been to Madison, so I'm going to get up there next year, and maybe that's the the year you guys get down here to our quarterfinal, uh, the CFP playoff. Uh, I love Luke Fickle. I think he's great. We had him when they were in Cincinnati uh, against Georgia in our Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl. Um, when they were the highest ranked group of five champion and had George, took Georgia down to the last second, Georgia had to kick a field goal to win that game. And then Georgia won the national championship the next year. But, um, uh, you know, I think from our side, um, just a little background, we don't get the chance now to select teams. It's all up to the CFP selection committee. And this year, what will happen is they'll select the, the most geographical advantage team, number one, in either the Sugar or the Rose. They host the semis this year. Uh, and then the Orange Bowl committee will basically take over and select the highest ranked ACC team. And then the Orange Bowl will either select from Notre Dame, the Big Ten, or the SEC highest ranked team. Then it'll go back to the selection committee 
And the three at-large CFP bowls are us, the Fiesta, and the Cotton. They'll place the group of five highest-ranked champion in one of those three bowls and then the other five teams. So, you know, we don't get a chance to say, have any say. We, we get who we get, and um, we, we love finding out, you know, who we get and hosting various teams from around the country, whereas we used to be just ACC and SEC teams. Now it's, you know, we've had from the Big Ten, we're Wisconsin, and obviously we've had Michigan, Michigan State. We had Ohio State last year against Georgia in the semifinal. Um, so, yeah, we'd love to have Wisconsin at some point. I know their fans are tremendous. Um, you know, their teams are always competitive. They're hard-nosed. They're kind of Pittsburgh Steeler type teams, which is what I like. Um, so hopefully we get the chance to hope, uh, hopefully uh, host the Badgers at some point before I retire. Gary, I, so I know we're running out of time. What's some of the coolest things that you get for coming to the Peach Bowl? Well, it's interesting. You know, we, we've tried various things. We've tried electronic uh, stuff, uh, you know, Xboxes and this and that. And we found that, you know, over time that most of the kids had mostly electronic stuff. And so what we do and, and what's resonated well with the players, because we, we go back on campus after every bowl game for 26 years, you know, there are clients. So we want to go back. We talk to players, coaches, equipment managers, presidents, athletic directors, staff, and say, okay, give us the good, the bad, and the ugly. Whatever we did good, we want to do better. Whatever we did bad, we want to do good. Whatever we did ugly, we need to cut out. The only way we can find that out is from our clients and our customers, and that's who the teams are. So we found that giving a vanilla Visa card um, where, you know, it's $400, the kids can spend it on anything they want. They can go anywhere they want. It's, it's a credit card. And we found that, you know, a lot of kids like it because, number one, they get a chance to buy their little brother and sister a Christmas gift or their mom and dad a Christmas gift, or they get a chance to buy the electronic equipment that they don't have that we can't guess. You know, you get Xbox, I know we're old, but you get Xboxes for everybody. And, you know, 55 kids have Xboxes already. You know, they don't think that much of that gift. So we've left it in their hands. We also give them a... Chick-fil-A coupon to go back on campus and spend some money to buy some food. And then we give them a, um, a football that's, uh, you know, um, white-sided football that they can sign because we tell them, hey, right now you're with these guys every day, but in five, 10 years, you're going to want memories of that team. And so to have that ball on your credenza when you're a businessman, you know, is going to be good memories. So we have them sign those balls for each other and uh, uh, keep those balls. So that's kind of what we do. I know it's a little different. Some people have gift suites and everything else, but uh, we found that really resonates positively with the players. So the best thing I think I ever got was uh, an iPod, the first one, the brick. So I would have yeah. taken a gift card. Uh, I, I am a gift card person. My wife hates it because uh, I like to buy my own stuff. I don't want someone to buy anything for me. That's what we found, you know, I mean, and it varies. Some people like, you know, the surprise of, you know, going into a gift suite and picking stuff. Um, so it varies. But for the majority of the people, we found that 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 uh, flexibility of that credit card really, you know, resonates with a lot of people. 
All right. Well, listen, uh, Gary, you're a busy man, and I know we've got to let you get get going to uh, a lot more ambassadorship, stewardship, and all of the great things that you're bringing out of the Peach Bowl. Like Bernie and I said, we really hope we can get in the Peach Bowl next year, you know, when it's in that 12-team CFP. You know, maybe the Badgers are the one seed. Who knows? Undefeated run through the Big Ten. We can have high hopes. You know Luke Fickle's a good coach. So, uh, you know, we will stay eternally optimistic. Uh, We cannot thank you enough. We will link uh, out to uh, Gary's bio and all the stuff about the Peach Bowl in the show notes here today. Uh, Like we said, Gary, cannot thank you enough for joining us here today on Believe in Badgers on uh, the Believe Network presented by betonline.ag and Oak Ridge Wealth Management. Thanks for tuning in. And until next time, on Wisconsin. On Wisconsin. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.